Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly, and today I'm talking to Stefan Wyman. Um, Steph, you probably know, is the uh, owner, boss, master, maestro of Matrix Fitness Pro Cycling, a British-based uh, cycling team, and he's also the manager, swanier, etc., etc., mechanic for Helen Wyman, the cyclocross star. Hello, Stefan. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Yeah, all good, all good. Uh, having a few days in the UK seeing some sponsors um, before we get into the, the big racing block of the season. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really been, been a good few days. Excellent. Um, I've been sourcing my questions today from people from Twitter and from Facebook and things like that who've been sending me questions throughout the week. So there's there's a kind of jumble of them. We had a big chat the other day with Stephen Fry of M2 Management on the Velocast podcast where we talked about the Women's World Tour and Strider Bianchi. So we're not going to repeat that. People can go and see that. I'll put the links on my site to prowomenscycling.com. But I'm going to just throw in with the questions. Um, this year, you're not a UCI team, but you were last year. What's going on with that? Yeah, um, it was a big decision to make. Um, and we had uh, fantastic offers of, of backing from Matrix and other people to continue at that level. Um, but 2016 is a big Olympic year and um, our leading road riders in Laura and Eleanor were both um, pretty focused on the track and their ambitions on the team pursuit and Omnium and, and, you know, and, and those kind of events there. So we weren't going to have too much access to them for road racing this year. And that meant that for a team of our size, there was um, a really difficult situation to get riders that were good enough and, and made a cohesive unit to create a team that was able to challenge in, in UCI racing. Um, women's pro racing is, is really, really tough. The level gets better every year. As the big teams get bigger, they're driving the standard up and they're driving a gap between the top of the sport and the bottom of the sport, which is exactly how it should be. They're doing things right. Um, and for us, we went to races last year and, and we were... We were happy, um, I'd say that in inverted commas, with 15th or 10th or, you know, that, that kind of result. And to me, bike racing is about winning um, at pro level. And I think that when you're out of the youth and junior categories, um, participation is kind of is not there as much um, as a um, as, as a target. And it's really difficult to, to put this without it sounding bad. Um, <laughs> um, but I want to go to pro races and, and respect the race and respect the other teams and be able to affect the racing there. And that means that we should be able to try to split a race up by all being on the front. And I don't mean any pro race. There are some poor quality ones in terms of the field that turn up. And there are some great quality ones. But, you know... I just don't want to go to make up numbers in pro racing. I don't think it's um, good for us as a, a group of staff. I don't think it's good for our riders, for their long-term uh, future in the sport. I don't think it's good for our sponsors. I don't think it helps us gain media exposure. And I don't think having teams there suffering and hanging on is particularly good for the big teams. I don't <laughs> think it helps them um, show how good they are and how they should be getting more money. Um, so 
I decided that it was best to take a step back from that, let Laura and Eleanor focus on on their track ambitions and allow us to try to bring through um, some other new riders and to take a longer period of time to hopefully gain the funding necessary to enter the sport at the world tour level with riders that we feel can challenge at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that will be next season, potentially the season after. But, you know, we certainly have ambitions to be part of um, a women's world tour if it's if it's done correctly. Yeah, I mean, we saw Bigler do that, didn't we? They, as a team, um, had been one of the biggest t- names of the, you know, early 2000s. And then they stepped back and then were, you know, rode at club team level with getting some wildcard places at big races with Emma Pooley, you know, riding occasionally for them as well. And then they've come back stronger. And I think that's interesting that you don't have to, it's a brave thing to do to say we don't always have to be at the top. Yeah, we've definitely been criticised for it um, quite a lot. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. um, But that's the sport, you know, there's, that's going to happen. But what, the sport needs from our team is us to keep the sponsorship dollars coming in yeah. and whether that's the money that comes into our team, whether that's the salaries we pay riders, whether that's the exposure we give the sport in terms of things like this or, you know, interviews with riders in magazines or things that we've done on the television um, or whether it's us encouraging our sponsors to sponsor events like we do with the matrix fitness grand prix um you know which is a televised series of races in the uk and you know we backed that since its inception and that's how we can help the sport um and we can help cycling in britain by helping riders like molly weaver have a step up um and when a big pro team comes along we stand aside and let them go and pat them on the back and and say well done um our our input to the sport isn't about us going in races and dominating and winning whether that be a tiny race or whether that be tour of flanders you know which hopefully might happen one day but it's it's about our contribution to the sport as a whole and yeah i mean that's how we look at it that's how our sponsors are looking at it it's yeah, not necessarily yeah. how everybody else in the sport looks at it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you myself because Johnson's Health Tech, who have the sub through the brand Matrix, have been really fascinating as a sponsor because, like you say, you've, they're sponsoring the five races at the Tour Series. They're also sponsoring the TV. They've been involved in sponsoring the Aviva Women's Tour. It's like you can't really find good, um, you know, a, a good women's cycling in the in the UK without finding you know, Matrix and Johnson's, does that feel dangerous to you? Or, or you know, or, do, or when it's a big sponsor like Bulls or like, you know, Bulls for the national level and John, uh, Matrix for you, is, is it good or is it bad, do you think? I certainly think it's good because it's led by me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hopefully I'm trying to steer it in the right direction. So when we set the partnership up um, with John Johnston there, um, he wanted uh, me to run a team for him, and and we've we've done that, and we've we've had our successes, and I'm sure we've had our failures. But part of the agreement for me to run a team or to set a team up um, with him as a sponsor was that together, John and I would try to get women's racing on TV. Um, we felt that 
women's teams and women's racing won't hold a great value until there's much greater television coverage. And most people said, oh, it won't happen. Uh, it can't happen. And we went directly. As soon as we said we were going to uh, do this and I'd agreed to run a team, we both went straight to the cycle show because um, it happened to be on then. We met there. We went to see Sweet Spot and said, you know, this is what we want to do. Can you uh, can you tell us how this works, how we can do it, what the financial costs are, what the benefits will be to us, you know, what TV coverage we will get. And, you know, they're a fantastic commercial organization. It's so professional. It's done absolutely correct every time. And uh, and we did it. We, you know, we made it happen. And we've, we've tried to grow that series um, as organically as we can. So when more teams come, when more riders come, we add an extra round. It's all done um, by the by the sweet spot team. Um, but obviously, every time you do something new, there's there's new uh, financial implications to it. And I'm now massively aside from that. It's it it just works, and it works as a format. People understand it. There's going to be some tweaks to that this year, which is going to be which is going to be great. Um, not necessarily something that's fantastic for our team, um, <laughs> but something that's great for the sport, which is exactly what we need. And you know, I wouldn't have backed that for a year with with uh, Matrix Fitness money if I didn't think it would be good for ten years. And uh, and yeah, we've tried to back other events, and we've tried to back um, initiatives to help the sport move forward. We've tried to always use um, photographers and and other people that we feel are really good for the sport and have you know have um, an impact in the sport in a bigger way. So. There is always a worry, you know, if you look at Rabobank, when Rabobank pull their dollar out, it's really difficult in Holland and maybe Jayco in Australia and that kind of thing. But I don't think the levels that we're dealing at, I think we're giving the sport um, a lift up. We're giving it, um, hopefully, a bit of a head start on where it where it could have been. And we're trying to do things that we're proud of doing and things that we think have a bit of an impact and, and might have a little bit of a legacy when we don't do it anymore. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, speaking of the national road series, one of the questions that I was so embarrassed because I didn't know the answer to this British cycling in Britain's a little bit confusing because obviously there's the tour series, which is standalone. Then you've got like the national road series and the national team series. What's the difference between them? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know. <laughs> it's really confusing and it's confusing for people that are involved in it, let alone people that are looking at it from the, from the sidelines. Um, the national series used to be the Bruton series, um, is, uh, the British cycling led national series of races. And that's been, a, you know, a longstanding series and it's had fantastic winners over the years. Um, and, that had it had become not particularly great because it involved um, very short races or circuit races and that kind of thing, and it, it wasn't necessarily exactly what's needed to provide the right structure to go from the UK to Europe, mm-hmm. and it, it made it very difficult having a national series with a thirty-kilometer-ish circuit race in it to actually show a European pro team that a rider was good enough to go from there to pro level 
but it provided a very good level, particularly for junior riders to to step up into European junior racing. But that's our national series, and it's run by British Cycling. Or you know, it's all done under their banner. So is that the road series or the team series? That's, that's the road series. So then you've got the national team series, and the big confusion comes in there because it's called the national team series, and probably shouldn't be. Um, that's also a very long-running series, and really it's known as the team series. And the idea of that was that it would run alongside the National British Cycling Series and would provide a more grassroots level of racing. And it would be based upon uh, teams and team entries and riders all getting points for who finishes. If you have six riders, you all get a certain amount of points depending on your place and is added together. And it was about encouraging participation in the sport. And then when you were good enough, you would move up and ride the National British Cycling Series. And then from there, you would go on to bigger pro racing, I guess. But where the British Cycling Series had come down in distance and number of races, the National Series was actually introduced, National Team Series was actually bringing in new, really nice races like uh, the Dave Peck race and, and races like that. They were actually ending up being longer and tougher than the National British Cycling Series. So there was a, there was a big amount of confusion over, over what was what. And I, I think ultimately with all of these things, you just need the two parties involved to sit down around the table and actually pick the hardest races for the National Series and the, the more development races for the other, for the other part of it. Um, I'm not a big fan of all riders getting points in a race and like, like you have in the Team Series, you know – the bike racing is about winning whether it's uh, at whatever level in it, you know they're all elites you know they're all uh, aged 18 to to whatever and uh and i think that it's sh- all of these races should be a schooling for the future and you know it's uh th- there there are definitely some ways that these series could help us prepare riders for um, for bigger things, not bigger and better things, but for bigger things. But I think you can see in the UK that some of the races out there are very, very good, and they're very good opportunities to develop riders. If if you look at the way that Grace Garner come through UK racing, um, and probably Lucy before her and other riders that, but they they race largely in the UK. And they've developed at such a level that European teams are interested in them now very quickly. Um, so there are really good races, really good organisers doing really good things. Um, and it's just maybe a case of we need a little bit of clarity over over what's what and who's who and, and who should be going to what race. And, you know, it's, there's so many times we hear this should fourth cats go to this and blah, blah, blah. Should elites be able to go to this series? And, it's ridiculous because the ranking system's a joke anyway. Mm. Um, you know, there's no nice way of putting it. When when riders are leading it because they're track riders and they're leading the road rankings, it's it's utterly ridiculous. And to set up a new ranking system in the UK, you know, would take a day um, of a programmer's time. It's very very simple. Yeah, um, yeah. But there are good races on really good courses with really good organizers there's some really good prize funds out there for people 
Um, and it's just maybe, as I say, that, that structure between them. And, and there's also a lot of crits for people who like crits. There's a, the Elite Series has got a couple of women's rounds now. It should have more because it's run by British Cycling and how they haven't got um, equality in those events, I don't know. I just can't understand it. Um, but the Tour Series has got six rounds because that's what's feasible, what's you know correct, into, and geographically they try to put them in the right place. Um, so it's getting there. There's there's a lot of races for people who are new to following British domestic cycling. Which ones do you think are the best road races to you know the kind of best the top road races in Britain? Roughly, I mean, if you miss any off, it's fine. But I'll put links again so people can find these on my site. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really really good races throughout throughout the season, and if you want razzmatazz and excitement, then you probably should be going to the Tour Series. Um, hopefully they update their music playlist soon because <laughs> after five years I, I I can't really cope with the music that's played there anymore um, but <laughs> you know go and bang the barriers and uh, and have, it, you know it's really town centre crit race and it is best in the UK they're so uh, good Bath last year on a sunny day like Royal Crescent at the top, a really hard cobbled climb, and a little circuit that you could walk around at least twice through the race, selling beer in the middle on this beautiful green park, like yeah. literally, and just race after race after race happening on the same course. You just couldn't ask for anything more. It's so entertaining. Oh, fantastic. The, ra- the round we had in Motherwell last year, we had Edinburgh um, the year before that. They're really good. Um, the races in Stoke have been really, really good in the past, and uh, you know, I think I think all of those all of those events they they run so well, and there's such a great atmosphere at them, and the level of racing is is exceptional as well. Um, so I think if you want if you want to go for a, a short blast, an evening of entertainment, then then they're really good. And then outside of that, there's some really uh, really huge races like the Women's Tour, mm-hmm. um, which is expanded this year in geographically, which means it can reach a few more people, which will be which will be really good, but it's, to my mind, it's the best run pro race for women that there is. Mm. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's a really good race. We've got the Dave Peck race coming up in, in early April. Um, we've got a Lincoln Grand Prix this year. The national championships is in the Northeast this year. And again, that will be, that will be a really good event. So spread all over the UK, there's, there's great events with women at them. And it's, it's one of the, the biggest problems facing women's racing is getting fans at the side of the course because we can all see the olympic race on telly where there was a million people lying in the course it's fantastic it's it's wonderful what teams like myself and other teams face a challenge of is i want to be able to take my sponsors to a race and show them the excitement of an event and the excitement comes from the crowd but when we go to many events like the cheshire classic or the dave peck race and, and other events there simply aren't crowds. Mm. So it makes it very difficult for us to give a sponsor return. Without a sponsor return, we can't pay riders because we haven't got as much money. Without riders getting paid, they're not professional and they can't race as fast and as excitingly unless people want to come and watch. So it's a really vicious circle there. So getting fans away from the Twitter screens to races is what's actually going to make our sport much stronger. And that's not only in the UK, that's all over the world. Um, and you know, there's a big push for more television, more streaming of racing and everything else, rightfully so. But what we also want is that that coverage 
is going to show what a fantastic sport we've got. And it helps to increase the value of our sport because at the minute it's a very low value sport and we need that to rapidly increase and we need high value sponsors coming in because of the potential um, of, of our team and because of our riders and using them in, as part of their marketing. Um, so it's very, very important that we, we fill the, the key areas of these races and we have exciting uh, opportunities for people viewing the sport from the outside. So as fans who want to help, I guess we can just say, right, my, I, I commit to going to see a race. Like, that that's what I can do to make a difference. Or if I'm going to see one race, I'll go and see two races. I mean, I find it hard because I don't know where... I, I find it really complicated to find out where races are in my area. I mean, I, I thought I was in the southwest region, but it turns out I'm in the Wessex region. <laughs> and I have no idea how to find them. People just, you know, people are telling me about them, which is great. But, like... How do, how do we find them out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, British Cycling have got a really in-depth calendar on their website. It's, it's very, very good what, what they've done with their calendar. Every race is on there, details of timings and everything else. It's, it's not necessarily the easiest to navigate. Yeah, that's my problem. And it doesn't necessarily hold your filters that you want each time, which is a little frustrating. But... Um, it, it's so in-depth and when you do need something it, it's all there and it's a great tool for teams for for entering races you know as groups and for entering the individual riders on a team it's it's very very good british cycling do a great job and to me that's what british cycling should be doing that you know the administration behind the sport and they they do it very very well um and you know that that's good not all races have got have got websites but then i would probably say that no website is better than a bad website, so <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I don't think that's that's a bad thing necessarily. Um, but the British Cycling site does have all of the the races, and it does have as in depth a result as possible, as quickly as possible on there. Um, and it's probably an underused resource, actually. The British Cycling website is it for racing, and the calendar is very very good. Uh, yeah. I think that for me, if somebody said to me, "I really want to help the sport," and I've got 50 quid spare, who should I give it to? I would genuinely say, you know, give it to a train company and get on a train and go and watch a race because that's a far more valuable input to a team than sending 50 quid to a team to to have. Cool. Cool. Um, someone asked me, they, they, they're trying to help newbies get into cycling, but into racing, you know, people who want to start racing, but they don't really race themselves <laughs> um and they said what are the most important race skills to have or to practice for people who are i mean we've got a big explosion in cat four racing from where we were a couple of years ago but if you're thinking about starting racing what's the most important skills first thing is fitness sounds really really strange but if you're thinking about racing the intensity of a race and the nervous energy you use in a race is far more than it would be just going out for a ride so <laughs> if you're trying to prepare for a, a 30 kilometer race and you're going out and you're repeatedly riding 35 kilometers that's great it is really going to help but the reality is the energy you use in a 30 kilometer race is far more than you would use in a, a fairly intensive 30 kilometer um training event um you know or just a training ride so i would say getting the the deepest fitness base you can get is going to be really important because genuinely when you're going towards the end of a race is when we see an awful lot of crashes and that's because people are really tired 
They're not quite thinking as well. They're not thinking as quickly and they're not able to react on the bike as quickly. I think the next thing really is the bunch riding skills. I don't think anybody expects a fourth cat or a third cat perhaps to have, you know, the skills of, of Danny King or, or Lucy Garner or Laura in a, in a peloton, but they all hope that they are able to uh, move their way around and navigate a group or, or two lines of riders um, and, and not be dangerous. Um, most of that comes from just being calm because moving around is just about not steering violently. It's the same as if you're changing lane in a motorway in your car. Mm. You don't go full right lock, full left lock to go back into a lane. You, you know, you just gradually go over. You indicate, you, this, which is communication, and you clearly go over, and, and that's all you need. And now we've got a brilliant setup with Hugh Williams doing more and more training days, more and more um, race introduction days, which is exactly what, what we need. And that has led to more and more fourth cat races. Um, and, and I think it's just a case of, of getting out there and doing those things. And when those races come up doing it, um, I don't have a big problem with riders that are new or fourth cats being in any race. If, if, a big rider or a big team go to a race and they have a problem with fourth cats being there, just ride hard on the front. Mm. And if that fourth cat can stay with you at the front, sign them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why not? But if you're going to ride, if you're going to go in a race and then you're going to say, oh, bloody fourth cat chopped me up and, you know, we crashed and everything else, ride in front of them. It's simple. It's what pro teams do. You know, in the continent, yeah. you go to a race, you go to a point two race in Belgium and you might have the six biggest teams in the world and you might have the six smallest pro teams in the world, but you might also have six club teams you've never even heard of in that race, which is a massive problem. But the pro teams just wait for the first section of headwind or crosswind, drive it into the wind and all of the amateurs are dropped anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, the first two races, I looked at the stats for the first two races of this year and I tweeted out about it because I think the situation's got a bit crazy with the mixes of teams. And I, I can't remember now that like three club riders finished the first race and, you know, I don't know how many started, 60 or so. And one, I think, finished the next day and probably again, 60 or so started. I personally, I think it's, it's crazy because the pro teams are just going to drop you. It's a waste of budget. It's a waste of confidence. It doesn't look good on TV. It, it doesn't inspire people to carry on and, and have a long career in the sport. And it doesn't inspire my sponsors to want to invest in that sport. And I'm sure that's the same for Live Planteur and, and High Tech and, and Wiggle and everybody else. It's, it's an odd mix. But if you don't want those lower category riders around, you just ride harder, just attack, just drop them. It's simple. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you this because one of the questions, I mean, I've got a series of questions about this bit, but I interviewed Aegon Van Kessel, the, the, the um, Wiggle Honda DS, Wiggle High Five DS, um, yeah. just in, over the winter. And he said that one of his problems is that British riders, throughout his old career, not just when he was at Wiggle, he's been around for a long time, is that British riders don't have good pack skills in general. He's like, you know, they, they can come with all the power, they can be good riders, but they just don't have the good pack skills. And so the obvious question, which someone asked me to ask you is, how do you get them? And so my question on that is that if you're a young rider who's done really well at the National Team Series, National Road Series, is it better to join? Would you, do you think it's better these days to join a UCI team and to go to those races and to be DQ'd from Omloop at 50 kilometres and to be DQ'd from Flanders? 
Or is it best to just, you know, go and try and get as much Kermesse racing in Belgium and Holland until you can cope with jumping out road furniture and, you know, 107 foot tall Dutch riders with sharpened elbows? Yeah, I think I think it's really it's a it's a really big set of questions there, basically. But um, I read the Egon uh interview i thought it was really really good and uh he's he's a really nice guy um you know consider him a friend and um some of the things he absolutely nailed on um in that interview like where danny king can get to in the sport Mm. um you know she's exceptional um and i totally agree with his comments about british riders finding it difficult and i think they find it difficult for a few reasons and Part of it comes down to the old club system in the UK has eroded. When I was growing up, you know, all those years ago, um, (laughs) we all joined a local team or a local club, sorry. And it it was very much a club. And it was quite often the old men and the old women who've cycled all their lives that run it. But there were riders who raced and, and of all different levels, men and women. Um, and they were local to you and they had club runs and on a weekend you went and you rode in a bit of a tear up Saturday and Sunday mornings and they had other things in, in the summer where there might be midday, um, you know, midweek rides and that kind of thing. But they all learned from each other and you went to a club room afterwards and you got a cup of tea and some biscuits and uh, and you all chatted about stuff and you, you learned your cycling trade there. You learned what's cool and what's not, what's acceptable, what's not. And you found people that inspired you that you wanted to ride with. And, you know, you might find a rider in that club took you under their wing and they they let you go on evening training with them and helped you with setup of your equipment. And that structure has gone largely. Those those clubs are still there. But there's a huge push on people to join teams. Again, very much an inverted comma thing, Mm -hmm. because what's the difference between a club and a team? And in the UK, it's probably that you get a free crash helmet in a team, but you buy your clothes in a club. And I think it's totally wrong. I think there needs to be a far bigger distinction between what is a club and what is a team. I think people should have to be a member of their local club, which is exactly what happens in Holland. Um, And I believe what happens in France as well. You are, are absolutely associated with a local club. So when they ride nationals, you see the the you know you see you see them riding for their club team. As well, the, or, France, they do, yeah, not, not, in, not in the Netherlands, but yeah, there's definitely a. But you see, you know, you see people kind of guest riding, you know, guest riding commesses or guest riding smaller yeah. races just to kind of keep their to you know basically to remember how to win. I think I, I, yeah, is, I is my think guess. So. And and I just think that if you go back to that club, um, you know, there's great clubs in the UK. We had uh, Lucy Shaw with us last year and she came out of the Solihull Club um, and it's a fantastic club bringing great riders through men and women um, Danny Khan has come through mm-hmm. there as well as Lucy in the last couple of years as absolutely outstanding female riders but they're coming through that club system but how many teams in that same period have actually developed riders to go on to pro level and it's not that many and I think there's just a big pressure and there's a big fashion of being in a team or, yeah, there's, there's a real pressure on riders. And, and I just don't think it's, I don't think it's that smart. And I think that the club um, scene 
probably needs a bit of a resurgence and um, uh, and that will help. So that will help with group riding, it will help with knowledge and everything else. And certainly when I was growing up, I grew up riding BMX and riding off-road and, and you developed some skills. And is stereotypical, I'm sure I'll get hammered for absolutely saying it, but young girls aren't always and very often do riding BMXs from when they're five years old, smashing into curbs, crashing on purpose, seeing how far up the side of a tree they can ride. And that <laughs> I used to do that. <laughs> yeah, some people do. And those riders are the ones that go on with the massive pack skills that they've got. Yeah, like Mariana Voss. Um, you know, exactly you like Mariana. Mariana. Mariana's, you know, Mariana, uh, and, and, you know, you think of a lot, there's a lot of riders who've had BMX, whose, whose BMX background is like, you know, Mariana doing all the mountain biking and stuff. And Totally. And, and that's, to me, that's how you learn the skills. And when we were in clubs, we had all sorts of different events. I rode for Mildenhall Club and we had grass track events, cyclocross events, as well as Audax rides where you just rode off road for a long time. We had road rides and we had all sorts of things going on. And you did all of these things and basically that's how you, you develop your skills. But in a team, you go into a team and suddenly, probably for absolutely nothing that you're getting given really, you've got expectations on you to go to this race program and perform in this way but there's no progression to that um so and again it's stereotypical but i don't just don't think that happens in all teams but yeah i, I think less female riders are growing up or have grown up doing those crazy things on bikes that boys have egged each other on to do and i'm talking yeah. about when i was a kid when i was a kid there were packs of us racing around on BMXs, terrorising the pavements of Luton. Do you think that's also about, like, the age we live in? Because, you know, I think about the stuff that, you know, like the classic thing about the adventure playgrounds I played on in Crystal Palace, where they were always being ripped down and built up and, you know, they were a bit rickety and you might fall down as someone always broke their ankle, you know, which just don't exist anymore. Do you think there's something about, for kids, they might have been brought up with a little bit more, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of health and safety culture? especially girls you know there's a big push to protect kids rather than you know whereas I think when we were younger you just assumed that you had a broken leg at some point in your yeah, childhood I think so I think health and safety is you know not ideal in that respect I mean I've lived in Belgium for 10 years and there basically isn't any health and safety rules there and we've got fantastic racing at all levels so you know who knows but British cycling, I know, and I don't know much about what they do with their go ride programs and everything else, but I know in the past those riders were given BMXs, and you know, men, uh, men and women, and they all got BMXs, and they all went and they all tried a bit of mountain bike and a bit of BMXing and a bit of grass track and a bit of cycle speedway and everything else. And those riders are the ones, you know, ultimately most of the riders that are out there as real pros from Britain now on the female side have come through that British cycling program in some way, and. I can't comment on what they're doing now. I don't have any access to it. There's, you know, it's a closed door. I don't know what they do <laughs> BC, but they certainly did it like that in the past. And it's had fantastic um, effects on, on those riders and the ability of those, you know, see riders like Danny and Laura and that coming through that system. Their, their skills are just unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, that's, to me, we need as a sport to encourage more young women riders to try all different parts of the sport not to say at 14 years old I want to be a road pro I want to be a track pro and that's all I'm going to do and when you 
haven't made it in that area, your options are totally closed. And, you know, ultimately, if you're a track rider and you don't do anything else, when you stop riding on the track, you're probably going to stop riding a bike. Yeah. Um, but if you just love riding your bike and you've tried all different things, you're going to keep riding. Potentially, then your kids might ride or somebody else who you know might ride because of your experiences you've had. And, and that's what's going to fuel the sport going forward. Yeah. And then so when you do want to go pro, so if you start off, you know, basically advice to young riders, get out doing some mountain biking, go down your local BMX park, have a go on your local velodrome, you know, if you've got a local, you know, like, for example, where I live, Newport or whatever, you know, give it a go, play, play around a bit, you know, play around a bit more, do some off-roading. Once they are at that stage where you're, you know, maybe you've getting offers from teams, do you take them or do you go, actually, I'm going to commess it a bit? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really difficult point. And that's exactly comes back to Egon and what he said to you. And it, I can't remember exactly what he said because it was, it was a few weeks ago now. But he said about the British riders found it hard to uh, to work on the skills front and that kind of thing. And therefore, you know, it's difficult to have them in all of the races, perhaps, because, I mean, they've got such a wonderful squad of riders there that it's really difficult to, I mean, the selection nightmare he must have. It's, uh, you know, good luck to him. Um and he's done such a fantastic job with it. it. You know, there's no questions on that. But the British riders, yeah, I mean, you look at the British riders that are there. They are wonderful riders. Any other British team, there's only two at the minute. Certainly our team last year when we were pro, we would have signed any of them if, you know, if we could because they're that talented. Um, and without, you know, personal specific examples, I find it frustrating that, as a British team, the talent pool for us to pick from, if we want to be a really British team, is not massive in terms of those riders that have got the skills and can affect a race in Europe. And some of them are there, but they're not getting the rides that they would get on another team. And that's not all down to Wiggle. Um, you know, they, what they've done for the sport is, is amazing. But it's down to the system a little bit in that we should have a two-tiered system should be a clear difference between Pro Tour and 1.2 races. And what I would love to see happen is a team like Wiggle and those other World Tour races take on a feeder team. And those riders, like Wiggle have taken over the years, some of them would go straight into their World Tour team, but some of them wouldn't. But they want to earmark that talent for themselves going forward. I totally understand that. But some of those riders might progress a lot better if they were given an opportunity to race with a small team that was trusted by them. So Wiggle, Liv, everybody else, they choose their teams that they want to partner with. And we form the second tier of racing or even the third tier of racing, just club racing. Mm. But we've got a trusted structure of DSs, staff, mechanics and coaches. And those riders still get access to those big teams, training camps, the big teams, nutritional advice and everything else, anything that, they fear isn't going to be provided in that small team, but they still get the racing, the week on week racing, the experiences at the right level and they learn to win. And I, I feel it's very difficult for a rider to come from the junior level, winning races in the UK and then going straight onto a team that's effectively a world tour team, whether we have a world tour or not at the minute, I don't know. And they go straight onto that team and they're riding against and with, in their own team, the biggest riders in the world, some of the biggest personalities in women's cycling. 
and they're living abroad for the first time. They're doing all of those things all in one go. And I, I think it can be quite a stifling environment for those people. And I'd love an opportunity uh, to work with some riders like that, not from necessarily that team, but from all sorts of teams, to form some really strong second tier teams um, where you go to point two races, but you also go to French Cups. You also go to national uh, cup races in Germany. You go to races in Britain still. And you mm. give those riders an opportunity to challenge themselves, some really tough terrain, some really good training camps, but to get beaten, but also to win, to learn to win as a team and hopefully make that step to the, the biggest team easier and more manageable for them. And as soon as they've got the talent, they leave anyway. You can you can transfer to a pro team whenever you want. Um, yeah. As long as you haven't got a pro contract, you can go. Um, we have stagiaires in women's racing, but when was the last time you actually saw an official stagiaire in a women's pro team announced? Yeah, because I always think of Chloe Hosking. You know, but that was years ago. Like, like years and and, and then there's there's the, there's the odds. There, I think Jean Jean Corivar and some of the, the Rabo do it. Rabo took on a stagiaire a couple of years ago. I can't remember which what her name is, which is terrible. They took on a stagiaire Dutch girl who was a club rider who's a bit older. Yeah. And then they took her on as a pro the next season, and they also took on a young you know a young rider as a. But that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my yeah. head. Quite often these people aren't official stagiaires starting in August. Yeah, no, these were these were these were. This is the only time it struck me. Yeah, because it just doesn't It's happen. so unusual, exactly. But in men's racing, we have all of this excitement at the end of the year. Who's going to get a stagiaire contract as well? We have certain races, um, like you know, up in Scandinavia, there's a race where there's quite often they they put these stagiaires out, um, and there's races in America as well where. It's kind of traditional that you go there with a couple of hitters from your team, but also the stagiaires, and you see how they're going to do and whether whether these people are going to get a contract. And there's a few areas like that that women's cycling really lacks. We have um, a very poor output as a group of teams about who we are signing. And our contracts for riders are quite often um, put out into the press in December or January when the UCI list of riders comes yes. out. But for men's teams, from when you're allowed to talk about contracts, which I think is the beginning of August um, onwards, we've got all of the stagiaire fuss. We've got all of the who's signing for who fuss. We've got the big post-worlds. This person's going here and this person's going there. And there's all of that excitement in the press. We don't have any of that in the women's world. Yeah. We probably make use of 1% of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can think of like Wiggle Honda do it. Yeah. They do, absolutely. But Wiggle are, are exceptional in all areas. Wiggle do things absolutely right in all areas. They, they've nailed video. They've nailed the website. They've nailed social media. They do all of those things. I mean, their rider selection is great. The results are great. Race output's great. They're the example for everybody. But nobody seems to be picking up on that example. And we still have pro teams that announce their team in two tweets on the same day probably at midnight when no one's looking at it, <laughs> geographically useless all around the world. And that's, that's a pro team. Well, I did my jersey post. You know, I do my annual vote to vote for jerseys, which is your favourite jersey, which, of course, yeah. you guys won the smaller teams vote. Um, 
and when I and I did it, I, I did it. I do it during the ladies' tour of Qatar because we have live racing, so it helps people get their eye in. But it's also, you know, a good time to wow. You know, this is the first time, and there were race, there were teams where I couldn't even find what jersey they were in. Yeah. And the fact that I have to wait till Qatar because I think, well, if the worst comes to the worst, I can go on the Qatar of Qatar Facebook, <laughs> and teams who are there, I can. <laughs> You know, I could I could link to a Facebook photo. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, a, and a tour de San Luis is another one. You know, the, for the American teams, then I can I can you know I can find it on the tour de San Luis Facebook, and it's just like you're just like oh god, I'm trying really hard to promote you all. <laughs> well, it's really tough. It's a really really tough situation, and I think that some teams get it right some of the time, other teams get it right all of the time, and it's something that we owe the fans of the sport. Is something that we owe media outlets for the sport because not much point us teams moaning about a lack of media when we don't give them anything to report on. Yeah. Um, people moan about TV commentators. Well, I know for a fact that during uh, events like the women's tour where we've got TV, those TV commentators are desperately asking for information on the races and they just can't find it. And, you know, when we've gone, we've had press packs ready, information on riders, what a jersey looked like, the history of the team, our results. People can't believe it when we give it to them because they've said that other teams that are, you know, considered far, far bigger than ours don't do it. And it's, it's very, very difficult. And then the viewing public moan because people don't know a rider's name or, you know, how to distinguish them on telly. But this should be really clear for people. And, um, you know, we need to follow those examples that, that teams like Wiggle set for for everybody um, and uh, just make the most of the sport. It's, it's, everything's there. The, the, the foundations for a good sport are really there and we're just not not building on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of changed the subject. Someone asked me to ask about crowdfunding because obviously you had the fan-backed women's team initiative a couple of years ago and then Velocio SRAM... Um, the former Specialised Lulu Lemon team had their crowdfunding last year, That well, it, going into last season, which yep. the team didn't carry on after last year. And now Podium Ambition uh, uh, have got a crowdfunding thing that I believe lasts another week. Have your views on crowdfunding changed? And, and where do you see... And I find this interesting because, you know, I do crowdfunding for myself, but I think that's a different that's a different thing. So I'm interested. So, yeah. So I was interested in this question myself. Like, where do you see the role of crowdfunding in women's cycling? It's an area that causes a lot of emotion in different people about uh, things. It's quite a contentious thing. It's a very modern thing. I don't think people necessarily, you know, everybody involved and who sees it sees exactly what it what it is now. I think there's a big distinction between your crowdfunding and a team crowdfunding. I crowdfund you because I think you're awesome. And the content that you create for our sport holds a huge value for me personally and for my team and for my sponsors. I'm blushing now. Thank you. (laughs) But it's very true. It's very clear. There's a very, very clear return on that to me. And the reality is, as you know, if you come to me and said, I think I could do this project and it would cost this much money, I would try to help you with it personally via my team, via my sponsors, or I would try and help you find somebody to help you do it because I think that has a value to the sport. That's exactly what we do with Matrix. I think when it comes to a team, it's very, very different because it's it's trying to create a return for so many people. Now, if you do a crowdfunder and you have 10 people give you money, 
if they don't give you much money, it's been unsuccessful. If you have 10 people give you a vast amount of money each, that's 10 people on top of all of your sponsors who you've got to give a really big return to. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to create the right sponsorship return and, and, and maintain people. And when it's a personal person giving you money, how do you do a return for them? Do you ride with them? Do you do this? Is it going to be renewable? And that my ethos on sponsorship is that I want um, the sponsorship on my team to be renewable and to continue to provide a stable base. That's one of our main goals as a team. And I don't see crowdfunding being more than a one-year deal. And I don't think one-year deals are what women's cycling needs. I think it needs long-term structure and uh, long-term security in, in all areas. That comes with TV coverage, race um, uh, quality, and teams and rider contracts and everything else. If your crowdfund has got 5,000 people all giving you 10 or 20 quid each, which is probably what you had with Velocio, a lot of those people don't expect anything back. They're mm. just giving you money. It's a form of charity. Well done. Off you go. Take my money. Go and race. Be awesome. Yeah. But an element of those people actually expect a little bit more. You know, when my race number doesn't come through on time, I'm going to moan publicly. Possibly rightfully so, possibly not. But you've created a, a situation of expectation. And it's very, very difficult to give 5,000 people their expected return because it's 5,000 individuals. And with the eight, nine, 10 sponsors on my team, we create a very personal return for all of those sponsors. I've visited three of them in the last two days. And we're creating personal ways to meet their market. Um, and you can't do that with crowdfunding. I think one of the other big problems with crowdfunding is it makes you look financially insecure. Mm. So from the outside, you say, yeah, I've got a pro team. We're going to try and win you know, the world championships and blah, 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 whatever you say when you start a team. And then you say, oh, but we're going to crowdfund to get X amount of money. And people say, well, you haven't got the sponsorship to run a team, whether you have or you haven't. You know, and that's that's a big question. Crowdfunding is there. It's a modern way to make money, as I've said. Why not? Why not take that money? I think Velocio got quite a bit, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars or something like that, maybe more. I, I can't really remember. And it helped them be a wonderful team last year, which is great. And I would I mean it would transform a team of my size, having that sum of money. But it would also finish my team off if I had it for one year and didn't have it the next year. Uh, it's also not enough money to run a team of Velocio's level. Mm. I mean, that's a million-dollar team. Um, so nobody's crowdfunded the right amount of money. You know, nobody's crowdfunded 400K to be a top 10 or 12 team. You know, it's just not happened. So is it worth it? I don't know. Good luck to people who are doing it. But I think... You know, I, I'll certainly look at interest with uh, with what Podium Ambition are doing. Um, I think it's totally their choice to do it. I hope they raise loads and loads of money. I hope it really helps them um, be a, a strong team going forward. They've got some great riders. They've got a really great race program. Um, you know, Barney at the top of the team's awesome, um, and Sarah, and they they're going to run a good team. Um, 
if you if they don't get the amount of money, I'm sure they're going to have you know the the criticism equally. If they do get it, good on them. It's it's, it's a really it's a really really tough situation, but I think it's, it's a personal choice. It's not something we want to do with with what we did with um, uh, fanback women's cycling was we actually put an article out that um, showed the costs of sponsoring a team and a friend of the team actually put out, well, I would pay X amount of money to help the team who's with me. And over a couple of days, it just went absolutely crazy. And we had the offer of just under 50 K on the table in a couple of days. It was insane, scary. And it wasn't from me, you know, I hadn't launched it. And I took the decision to not take any of that money. My choice was that it wouldn't be renewable money. It would be too difficult. And we come under loads of criticism about it. And it wasn't even our idea. We also had loads of praise. Um, So it's very much a double-edged sword. And we chose to pull those people together to try to get them to help going to races we encourage people to go and view races we had people uh, build podiums for races in the uk that didn't have them and they did it free of charge and uh, we did we did all sorts of things with it we, it was it was really fun it was really interesting a really great group of people um, it was nearly 500 people i think i think from memory it was just under 500 people had all pledged 100 quid each or or something like that, and uh, and we got them all involved in spending that money to go to bike races, which is what I said earlier to, to another question. And yeah, I mean, the administration cost of getting a few thousand pounds into a team is not going to be cheap. Mm. Uh, um, and I'd rather people just turn up and have a make a flag at home, have a bed sheet, and just go crazy <laughs> on, the, on the climb. And yeah, crowdfunding at the minute, crowdfunding isn't. For me, I think it has real benefit when it comes to individual riders, individual goals, like the two young British cross riders crowdfunding to go to a race in America. It's very clear. Give me some money. I'm going to spend it on a plane ticket. I'm going to go and race my heart out in America. And it's all over. At the end of that race, that's it. It's done. But when it's over a whole year, it's really, really difficult. Really difficult. And there have been some that have raised issues for me too, like, you know, um, the rider who was crowdfunding to go on her team training camp a couple of years ago. And I live here, my team training camp is there, crowdfund me to get there. And that felt uncomfortable to me because that was like, hang on a minute, you're in a pro team. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I guess that's the problem too, isn't it? Because I felt that reflected badly on her team, even though I supported her, you know, personally. I think it reflects badly on everybody to a certain degree. I think that I think that's, again, it comes back to the structure of sport. Like, you know, World Tour Racing needs riders that are paid. It needs well-funded teams. And we shouldn't be having riders in top teams asking for money to go to training camps or asking for money to go for flights to races and that kind of thing. It's It should be a given that when you get in a team at that level that you get paid and you get enough money to, you know, to do what you need to do um, at home and you know you get a flight ticket sent through to you and you you know you get picked up at the airport and you go to a race i i think it should be a total given at that level and i think in division two racing uh, you know hopefully over a number of years we can have 
a push towards a minimum salary in that as well, but mm-hmm. it probably won't be as high, um, the same as it is in men's Division One to Division Two, and you know there's probably some different expectations in it, but you know all of this big big pro teams paying to go on their own training camp or you know paying for entries in the UK, you know a, a team, people who call themselves a team. So it's sponsored, but the riders are having to pay their own entries and, and that kind of thing. It just seems odd to me. It doesn't look good for the sport. It doesn't look good for the riders. It doesn't look good for the sponsors or the teams that are involved in it. And, uh, yeah, it's something that needs cleaning up to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, more contentious questions. Because, <laughs> you know, when I said that I was talking to you, people just kind of started DMing me or emailing me or commenting me <laughs> evil questions. Um, races struggling for entries in the UK. Now, I feel really strongly about this too, so I was really happy with this question. I, Someone was saying, it seems like, it seems like, women want more races in the UK but then don't turn up to races given the number of races that are like you know emailing last minute help help you know we're gonna have to cancel our race if only if we don't get 25 more riders on the line and personally I've had issues with this and I think Tanya Griffiths wrote an amazing blog about it last year after there was a spate of people coming to me you know with one week to go kind of with a slightly berating attitude about it yeah and Tanya's blog was really fantastic about that. You know, if, if people aren't going to your races, ask them why they're not going. Don't tell them off on Twitter. But what what do you think? I mean, what do you think it says about the sport? And what can we do to avoid this situation where, shit, if we don't get another 10 riders, we're going to cancel? Yeah, I think that... I think in women's racing... Um, the events are very, very quick to massive generalisation there, yeah, but to, to jump out publicly and say we haven't got enough races uh, or enough enough races, and I think that they actually need to take a little step back because they're actually damaging the sport there to a certain degree. So a potential sponsor for that race who's looking at that race is going to look at that Twitter feed in the future before they sponsor the race, and they're going to say, well, they don't even get enough riders. You know, which is, you know, not a great situation for, you know, for for that event. Um, I certainly wouldn't be impressed with it. I, I don't, you know, I don't think it makes teams particularly impressed. I'm absolutely sick of being asked to tweet out my team hasn't got enough ra- races in it, and we're we're not going to have, we're not going to run our race if we don't get X number more people. It drives me absolutely mad. It's boring. It's been done. And I find it a little bit derogatory, to be perfectly honest, towards a sport. Um, I think that when races sometimes have asked for extra riders, it's been pretty valid. They've got a really good race on a weekend with a good prize fund for everybody. It doesn't clash with other events. And people have just not bothered entering early or teams aren't doing it on behalf of their riders and showing backing from teams. And I think that's fairly legitimate. But we also get races that haven't got a website, haven't got a Twitter page, don't send their details to British Cycling early enough so we don't know where it is, when it is, what time of the day it is, whether we need hotels or not, and how much it's going to cost to do the race. When they ask for people, 
you know, people aren't entering, it's probably because people don't even know their race is on. Yeah, well, this is one of the things I think Heather Bamford talks about is like, you know, you have to publicise it. And just just Duffy in the Southwest has done some really, really, you know, she gets her races completely full because yeah. she publicises them. <laughs> I think, I, think um, I think what she does down there is absolutely fantastic. And what that is as well is local races for local people. And if you want people from all over the country to come to your race, fantastic. They will if you're putting on a good race. When you get a bit of a reputation about about the race, you're going to get more and more people, more and more people coming. Um, you know, we had quite a few crits on. You know, in the last few years, of people, you know, they've been midweek crits in an evening. Yeah, six o'clock for the women's race. And you know is is not a professional sport in the uk so that it needs to be targeted if you're going to run a midweek race and you want to run a midweek race in an area where there's 400 races already make sure you've got a, an, an audience for it um but certainly don't be moaning at people we had so many people sending us pretty nastily worded messages about not entering their race last year that was a 700 mile drive from our belgian base <laughs> You know, we weren't in it to be going to two, three, four crits last year. We might well be this year, which is which is fine. But, you know, I, I just don't think it's particularly professional. And uh, I think if a race hasn't got enough riders, cancel it. You know, just cancel it. Don't put it on again. So what? Don't do it. There, there's enough races. I think that what you said about riders are asking for more and more races is not necessarily the case. I think riders are asking for better races and what they want is a clear structured calendar of really good races. Mm -hmm. So on a weekend there's local events that are for local riders, but there's also a big event where the best riders want to go to that event. And that race needs to be varied. So one week hilly, one week flat, one week rolling, you know, whatever we need a, a good variation of races sometimes they need to be multi-day races sometimes they need to um you know to 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 cover different things a tt and that kind of stuff again if, if, if we haven't got that how do we expect people to learn to do that going away there needs to be a coordination between the national tt series national team series national road series and elite criterium series um all of that needs to happen but people want longer races, challenging races. We want varied races. We want crits, road races, stage races, everything. They don't necessarily just want more races. Nobody wants more bad races. Mm. We, all, we all want more good races. We've got good races. We want to make sure they go on. We had Dave Peck race the other week. Now, I don't live in the UK, but I consider it my job to read basically every single piece of media that goes out about women's cycling. <laughs> now, I haven't seen a single promotion for that event. I've entered a team for it, not a huge team, but I've entered my riders in it. I did it on the British cycling system, which is really good. I can do a team entry. It takes me two minutes. And, and I've entered a complete team in a race. It's really, really simple. But then I read a tweet saying that they were 10 riders short. Now, I got in touch with the organizer. It's such a good race. And I was perfectly happy to pay out those last 10 places of entry fees to make sure the race carried on. Mm. As it is, the race is full. But what we did get was messages out saying, races not full, might not be able to go ahead. Okay, so I've got hotels booked. 
So am I going to cancel my hotels or not? What we didn't get was a message from an organiser saying, the race is now full, panic over, thanks everybody, thanks for the entries, we're going to have a race full of riders, it's going to be really successful, it's really exciting, it's a great course. We didn't have that. Yeah, and that's what I think of people like Jess Duffy and Heather Bamforth, when they do that, they're very good at that, do you know what I mean? So you kind of have, you know, I mean, I know Jess in the the deep southwest kind of going, oh, it's open. Oh, this has happened. Oh, my goodness. We've had this many more races than last year. This is going to be wonderful. You know, what Heather's races, you know. Oh, wow. You know, we've doubled our entry since last year. We've got a really good fourth cat. This is going to be a fantastic day. Hashtag party on the road. You know what I mean? It's great. And you hear the positive stories about it. I mean, I'm quick to highlight negative things. Absolutely. I've got a reputation for that. And that's (laughs) a shame because I hopefully also promote the positive things as well. People pass over that. But unless somebody's prepared to highlight those things, and I think, you know, the, the Dave Peck race is a standout race in the UK in terms of its course and structure. I think it's really, really good. It's had great winners already over the years. And I think it should be a national series race, not a team series race, because it's that good. Um, but I don't think the communication from races like that, I'm not singling it out. I can, you know, I can go through a massive list of them, but that's just the one that's kicking off our season we had this negative message going out but we haven't had the positive message now I've got that myself because I pursued that message myself and that message might be out there publicly but I'm a professional team manager as in that's my full-time job but I can't find that information so why on earth are teams and riders getting the backlash when it's not always the teams and riders that aren't doing the bad stuff I mean, I also think that if I saw that, if I was a rider who was thinking of maybe coming down from London, I mean, I'm, you know, let's just say the Bristol Grand Prix, which is a complete lie because they did amazing. You know, they they ran for the first time last year and they did. They actually did really good crowdfunding too. But again, you got a specific thing. You got to have a race happen in your area, and you got a T-shirt, and yeah. you got your entry, and you know, you felt like you know, I could donate twenty quid to them. And it was, as you say, it was like giving to charity. I was happy. You know, if it wasn't during the women's tour, I'd have gone on the side of the road and cheered. But, you know, say, for example, someone saw them saying, oh, shit, we're going to have to cancel if I've got, you know, if we don't get 10 days, then I just, if I'd been thinking about entering it, I probably wouldn't just on the basis that if I book the day off work and book a hotel and, you know, hire a car and drive down there from London, will it still be on? Do you know what I mean? So I kind of feel like, yeah, they need to kind of... It is. It's definitely the case. I mean, we had the... the, Cyclo uh, Classic um, last year said that they were going to run a race for women. I entered the race, I booked hotels, and then the race cancelled that they were running the race, and I lost all the money for the hotels. Fuck. So Fuck. now they're running a race, and it's backed, and it's in theory absolutely happening, but I'm not booking hotels for it yet. Yeah. And that might mean my riders have to travel in from further away. But you know, we're definitely going to go, we book riders, but you just have a bit of fear over it. And it's the same when races have put out a lot of negative messages. It just makes you as a team a little bit wary about what's going to happen and when you should enter. And that can also hold up entries as well in the future. I mean, I don't know. I I don't like the negative side of it. I don't see it happening in men's races. You know, we haven't got enough entries. We've only got 42 entries this week, blah, blah, blah. I just don't see it. And it just seems to be something that's perfectly acceptable to message out at in women's racing, not acceptable to do in men in the men's side of it. And 
Um, I don't think it's acceptable to do it on either side. I'd much rather have um, an email come through to me or a phone call. We've had lots of races phone me up and ask me if I can help them and G up a few teams to give them some entries or, um, or you know, or boost our own entry for the race. Um, and there's been races that were struggling financially and we've just backed them to run the race. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of teams that just, a lot of races that just send out a negative message. And I understand their frustration. I really do. And I really wish that UK teams, cause I have asked and you know, races who've had problems if teams are entering as a race or if riders are entering individually. And it's, it's difficult. People are waiting until the end of the month till they get paid to enter a race. I mean, it's not cheap to enter a race in the UK. Yeah. It's free in Belgium. Um, but it's actually quite expensive in the UK. So I really uh, think it's difficult. And it is people want to enter a race at the end of each month when they've got paid for the next month. And they plan their calendar like that. You know, they might do it two months in advance or three months in advance. You know, I've done our team entries up until the end of July or into August already. But the money's there to do it. But I, I, I totally understand a rider who's going to spend a bloody lot of money on petrol and food and a hotel, not wanting to pay 40 quid plus a one pound charge for every single entry that they do to, uh, to do it all in January so that, you know, organizers, you know, don't get their pants in a twist really. Yeah. I've, I've personally blacklisted two, two races where I'm never going to mention them on the grounds of how annoying they were. And especially because when I, challenge back they were a bit rude to me back do you know what I mean like you know like I was like oh you know I don't really that t- I think that tone's wrong you know I think that tone's a bit aggressive or something and they've kind of come back doubly hard yeah. <laughs> so yeah so those two races who I don't mention I'm never going to mention ever again I mean you know I don't really do Brit- British cycling so that's no big loss for them but I wonder if you know it's like there's a, a few there's a few races that I wouldn't enter a, a team in to be perfectly honest and if my riders wanted to do it, I'd tell them to do it and, and I'd pay for their entry, but it doesn't come on my calendar of races. When I set the calendar up for the riders to choose, it doesn't, it doesn't go on that because I, I'm not sure of what output we would get from the race or whether it would happen. And I don't want to be a part of any, you know, unnecessarily negative streams. And, uh, I, I think everybody's got races like that. I don't think, I don't think you're being unfair. They're only having a couple with the involvement that you've had in the sport. Yeah. Um, two more questions. Cause I am taking up all your time. One's negative. One's positive. Well, it's not negative. Actually. It's interesting. Obviously we had the tra- world championships last week and your rider, Laura Trott did very, very well. And, uh, Laura and Eleanor were part of the team pursuit team that did less well, um, quite spectacularly in the, um, in the qualifying for Team Pursuit. Um, but Laura, the week before, was talking publicly about comments Shane Sutton had made about Katie Archibald and being, um, if people don't know, Shane Sutton's the head of British Cycling, and he was criticising Katie Archibald about um, riding a motorbike, which caused her to crash. And Laura was pushing back a bit about... Uh, so, you know, so without actually talking about Katie, because, you know, that's like, gets a bit meta. What's that like for your team? And why? What? What? What do you think that says about British cycling in general? Um, I think that um, Shane is totally free at the top of British cycling to have his expectations and his way of doing things. He's the boss, and he's been incredibly successful. I think that Laura's absolutely. 
uh, entitled to her opinion on how she does it. She's been absolutely successful and she's part of that team and has a knowledge of that that I certainly don't have. Um, I think that some of the stuff you see in the press is obviously trying to create cracks in a team. You know, the British press put people on a pedestal and then try and knock them off of it. Um, I think that there was some reactionary stuff at the beginning of the uh, world champs. And if you look at the if you look at the medals table and success at the end of the championships, people go bloody hell, that was amazing. You yeah, know? Laura was a big part of that, wasn't she? I mean, she, yeah, she, she was. Got, I mean, she got the, she was part of the bronze. Uh, Laura and Eleanor were part of the bronze track, you know, team pursuit thing. Laura got the Laura got the first gold in the scratch, and then she won gold in the omnium to finish yeah, it. I think I read. I don't know if it was true or not, um, but I think I read that the Laura Trot Jason Kenny House won the medal table. <laughs> Um, and if it's true it's pretty amazing it's pretty cool um so i think that when people look back upon the world it's super successful world championships and i think that the credit for that has to go to shane and the team and his coaches and everybody else so i think there was some reactionary stuff at the beginning i'm not involved in it i you know british cycling don't talk to me I don't know anything what goes on there. I don't know how world-class performance works. It's really world-class performance. It's not British Cycling. British Cycling are a, a non-profit, I believe, uh, administration organisation for our sport. But world-class performance plan, or whatever it would be called, is a lottery-funded part of the sport that you know is our medal machine. And um, you know, if you look at that, I think they had a successful world. They didn't get everything that they wanted. Um, Laura and Eleanor were part of the team pursuit team that didn't have the best qualifying ride but my opinion is that a bad or poorer performance will only make you stronger going forward and I certainly I have you know, no input on this but I sent a cheery message to our riders after you know, a suboptimal ride and certainly taken a lot of criticism. And I sent them a, a message and said, you know, chin up. You can come back and be even stronger from it. And they went out and did. They they got a national record, which is fantastic. I think that that sport, team pursuit for women, is so open. Um, a few teams did four 16s at that, at that race, which would have been a world record a year ago. Um, Australia were nowhere near the mark that they were at at the Worlds last yeah, year. Yeah, they really suffered because Mel Hoskins is out with um, glandular fever and Nettie, obviously, her Nettie Edmondson, had just been hit by a car just two weeks yeah. ago, which I'm pretty sure was still having an impact on her. Oh, sure, absolutely. I'm absolutely sure it it, it is. And I think that um, when when the British team, Team Pursuit team, went into that race... They probably didn't know what Australia were going to do. Were they going to be able to do a 414 or were they going to do a 422? And as it was, it was somewhere in the middle. But they also probably didn't expect Canada to qualify as well or America to qualify as well. And New Zealand did exceptionally well. Mm. And they, they probably hoped they would get somewhere near where they got um, with their national record. But you never know until you actually do it. And I think that Joe um, Roussel-Shan put out, uh, you know, a really interesting comment I read um, 
you know, about that, that in the qualifying race, they went out and tried it. They tried to smash in a great ride because they know they can do a fast time in training. They can do that all the time. And what they wanted to try to do was see how far they could push it. And it went wrong. And it's fair enough for things to go wrong. And I think for any other nation, the world championships is exactly as it says on the tin. It's the world championships. And perhaps for us fans of track racing, it's also that great big thing. But for people that have been multiple world champions and ultimately trying to win the Olympics and therefore secure the funding for the sport going forward, the world championships this year is just a preparation race. It's just part of a a stepping stone towards worlds. And whether that's right, whether that's wrong is a different debate. But like what she said was they tried to do something, it went wrong, they come back and they got a national record, they showed where they're at. And that's missing Katie as well. And Katie's an exceptional athlete, whether she should or shouldn't be riding a motorbike, you know, in that environment, totally up to them. Personally, if you like motorbikes, ride them. You know the consequences, ride them. It's, uh, that, that's how it is. I don't think you're letting a team down by riding a motorbike and having a crash. I think that this sport of women's team pursuit has been about for a number of years now, and we should have a team that's deep enough and strong enough that it can cope with a rider being ill or injured because it's no different to somebody having a cold for the Olympics yeah, or breaking their toe or crashing in a, in a training ride. Whether you crash on a motorbike or a push bike, there's risks involved in all of those different things and there's risks involved in going to the shop and the checkout person sneezing just before they give you the money. And as somebody involved in a cycling team and anybody who listens to this who's a rider will know how much that makes you cringe and you debate in your head for a millisecond, do I bother getting my change back or not? Because you just don't know what germs they've got. And at key times of the year, genuinely, it's, it's unbelievable. You get super tense like that. But we should have a team that's strong enough. And yeah, I think it's, when you look at the, the, Britain's best team pursuit time before this World Championships was marginally slower than we just did, marginally a tenth of a second or so. And that included Danny King. Yeah. Who I think is, you know, up there in the top three or four pound for pound riders in the UK. Um, always have done. And I can't see how not having her as part of that team. I can't see how not having her as part of that team is beneficial. And that's where Shane is earning his money because you look at the, uh, the results and the medal table in hindsight, he's done a brilliant job. But I, I feel that we went to that championships, really we, we only rode four riders in the team pursuit and we should have at least five that are strong enough to be able to be called on a couple of weeks before that, the best riders for that. And there's obviously something in the way that Danny rides in a team pursuit that makes that team ride well. And I don't think that team pursuit is necessarily all about only numbers. It's only this, it's only that, because it's only getting three people to the finish. And uh, I feel that she must have done something for the chemistry of that team that helped it gel and helped it move forward. And it has to be said on paper that since Danny wasn't part of that team, it hasn't been as all-conquering as it was before. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the situation I wasn't there but I feel that Katie Archibald not participating in that race 
or that championship, that was not the reason we didn't perform to the level we were at. They tried something and it didn't work. And I don't think it's Katie's responsibility for riding a motorbike. I think it's the team's responsibility, the coach's responsibility, the management's responsibility to have a group of riders that are strong enough to call upon to, to perform. And that's exactly what Australia did the previous year when they smashed the world record to pieces because they weren't all full-time track riders living in mm-hmm. the environment of a velodrome. They were road riders and track riders all mixed together, put together because they were the best at the time, the best team, the best unit, the best numbers to create that result. And that's what we need to do. And maybe that's a little bit different thinking to what it was when it was a three-rider team and we were the only team really going for it. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously Danny being pushed out for track if you look at what happened to Lizzie when Lizzie dropped track, you know, because obviously Lizzie's a former track world champion in the team pursuit. Lizzie Armitstead, obviously. Yeah. Like, track's loss is road's gain. And I think Egon Van Kessel is, was, you know, as, as a DS, is probably, you know, I think he was very upset that Danny didn't get, well, he said in the interview with me, that Danny didn't get to ride road worlds. But, you know, we're going to see... It's like, you know, it's sad for British, it's sad for the track fans because Danny's such a crowd favourite as well. I've never seen her not smile at a race and I've never seen her not engage with every single person who comes up to her. You know, right from when you first took me to my first race and she was super friendly to me, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we've got, we've got brilliant riders coming through. And I mean, you look at the Olympic selection and it's going to be really tough. And I guess part of it is going to come down to terrain. But you know, Danny is exceptional. She's gone out. She's got points. Nikki Harris has just started road racing. Her Jesus, was... Nikki was so has been so good. She's, and she's always been exceptional on the road. She always will be exceptional on the road. So there's two riders. Molly Weaver is going exceptionally well, always, and working for a team. And ultimately, when you've got Lizzie as your team leader, you need workers. And uh, and Molly's proving what her worth is at, at live and, and did last year. And, you know, she knocks out numbers that are just ridiculous. And then you've got Emma Pooley coming back in. We've got Lucy Garner. We've got other riders that are already out there. Hannah Barnes. I mean, how exceptional is she? If, if, yeah. you know, if her injury is is recovered and repaired, you know, we've got this fantastic group of riders now. But Again, for the road, our world team should be picked upon the riders that are absolutely right for that team with whatever leader we have for that terrain on that week. Um, and hopefully we get more towards that. And hopefully, you know, even the men's side, we can have, uh, you know, more and more depth of riders. Now we've got people like Scott Thwaites and Dan McClay out on, on other teams. Steve Cummins is out on other teams and and. Hopefully, people like that come in and, and strengthen that team. And it's not, it's not just a BC team and it's not just a Sky team going to these things. Uh, you know, I, I, think it's, I don't think it's a great idea to have a British cycling team that picks itself like we've got with the new Women's Academy riding as GB or as Breeze when they go. I would like to see the best riders at the time riding in a GB kit for that race. And I don't like the fact that our national team seems to be a closed door. I, I don't like it. I, I don't see why we should be taking mountain bike raid riders to early season classics as preparation for their mountain bike races in a year where we haven't got a place in the Olympics anyway. I'd like to see our best unsigned classics riders going to classics races, giving them an opportunity learning what it's like to ride in a Great Britain environment, learning how to step up. I, I just don't see the benefit in taking 
one group of people to races every week. Those people should be out in teams, being nurtured in teams, developed in teams, given opportunities to race all over the place. And then the best riders get to race for Great Britain. It should be so special to ride for Great Britain every time you ride. It shouldn't be something that's given for a year and then taken away from you forever. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like Nikki Juniper, who won everything last year. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? On the, on the UK domestic circuit. Well, I'd love to have seen her in those classics earlier this season. When we come to hilly races, I'd love to see GB getting a team and people like Alice Cobb, who's on my team, get an opportunity to ride in the hills. And... Yeah, or Sharon Laws, who's riding for Podium Ambition. You know, yeah. like, like yeah. I'd like to see Sharon. I mean, obviously Sharon's blacklisted too. Because I think that's the thing that, like you said, once you're out, you're out forever. And that's super sad to me because, you know, you might... And also, if you're over thirty, you're never going to get you're never going to get a start. And I think that's not how other teams play their national squad. And I, you know, I actually feel sorry for riders like Alice Barnes, who I'm sure is a really, 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 really lovely girl. And I never mean anything personally about it, but I'm always going to raise my eyebrows at Alice Barnes racing Road Worlds over over someone like Danny. And that's not Alice's fault at all. She's a really exceptional case, Alice, because she is somebody who's so multi-talented she is an absolutely lovely person by the way to confirm that sure she is she's super talented off-road and super talented on-road has got all the skills in the world and if you just look at the micro environment of road nationals last year and and her getting selected this year i absolutely get it because she was so good in road nationals i'd actually like to see her out on a road team and getting an opportunity to ride even more on the road, particularly again in a year where we're not going to qualify, where we haven't qualified a place for the Olympics. It's a perfect year for those people to be out on teams and learning what to do and mm-hmm. and and seeing where their talent could take them on the road. Um, I think that other other nations don't. I think you know age restrictions on riders' ability is a bit crazy. We you know we had a fantastic rider in the past, daughter Rasmussen from from uh, Denmark and uh, she didn't pick up a bike until about 30 and went on to get a world's medal um, was unbelievable unbelievable rider and, and you know people shouldn't be shouldn't be judged on their age yeah. and-, and well look at Kat Garford Catherine Garford in Australia who didn't start cycling until late or Lizzie Williams who's over 30 who's you know she'd been a very strong junior and then she'd stopped and then she came back after a couple of years working to be a full-time cyclist again when she's 32 she's still going to be our leader probably when lucy garner's 32 she's still going to be our leader so why shouldn't the people around them be that age it's not all about youth and uh it's about the best riders for that for that event and you know it's the the age 28 average rule in uci racing is i mean to me it's kind of it should be against well it's gone hasn't it it's gone gone. but it was it was against in my opinion the law really you know what law you know i don't know but it shouldn't be allowed and people shouldn't be discriminated against because of that um but i i would just like to see I, i think it would be great if we had an environment where the best riders got to go to the races and that creates an element of competition and an element of opportunity and I think that that is a fantastic way for our sport to develop rather than having an environment that's a them and us um, and a closed door and I, I'm, I don't know maybe it'll change in the future I don't know but we'll see. Okay, let's end on a positive I'm, I've, you know very quickly because I've nicked a half, an hour and a half of your time. Um, cyclocross 
it's gone from the least evolved, I would say, discipline, barring bike ballet, um, a couple of years ago when I first started racing, to being basically, I'd say, second behind mountain bike in terms of what we can watch, uh, how women are treated in the sport, what's going on. Do you think that can be replicated to road, the, the massive successes? And I should say the successes that, you know, I know that Helen and you have been pushing for, um, you know, both Helen's role in the commission and both of your roles off the bike. Do you think that can be replicated in road? Absolutely. It just needs a will to do it. And Helen's made a lot of changes, but she's um, articulate in the way that she puts her arguments across and she's put the right arguments across to the right people at the right time and, and got hopefully the right changes for a lot of people. And there's still a long way to go, but you know, the, the ball is rolling and I, I don't feel at the minute that the ball is really rolling in road racing and it just needs the right people to make strong, potentially unpopular decisions uh, initially for the right, for the right reasons. And it needs them to have big shoulders and, and deal with it and, and put it through. I think that the road racing can be the banner event, really. It, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be track. It shouldn't necessarily be mountain biking or anything else. It, I think road racing has got the most days of racing in fantastic areas, environments, terrain differences, and, and, and the teams are great, the, the stories of the teams. It just needs a couple of really strong people, and it just feels really cluttered really a really messy environment to try and make changes in and it needs a blank sheet and hopefully hopefully it can happen i'm 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 skeptical at the minute because i think that what is coming out from women's world tour and again we won't really go into it listen to scott's fellow cast about it but i feel things could be done a little bit better and yeah it always seems like I'm moaning about stuff like that but ultimately I do moan because I have to try and sell this product to sponsors to bring money in to give riders opportunities if I can't do that there's no money to offer riders an opportunity and to and to get sponsors to back races in the UK so I have a reason for not liking. Well, you, no, I, I don't think moaning is the right word for you because you are doing so much. Actually, this is me like blowing smoke up your ass, but it's true. You do so much work for it and so much positivity that I feel like, of course, you know, of course, we're all going to have bad days where we're just grumpy as fuck. You know, all of us are. But, you know, I feel like it's it's you're not moaning to me is where you just sit around and you're not trying to make change and you're always trying to affect change. So you know, it's, I, I, maybe that's, you know, I, mean, I, I hope so. And I mean, it'd just be really nice if we can get to a situation where, where we have enough change that we don't need to ask for it for a year. And yeah. we, and we know the right people are taking it forward. And that's where I think we are with cross. A lot of changes happen at the end of the year. They're communicated quite effectively to the riders and to the teams and then to the public at the right time. So people know what to expect. And that means expectations are being managed. And it's very clear. Numbers are very clear. Um, opportunities are very clear. And people know where the timeline is going forward. You know, Helen will tell people that this is what we've achieved this year. We've managed to equalize this or do this or change this rule and regulation. But next year, we've agreed that we will look at this, this and this. And it's very, very clear. I don't know where, who I should write to. 
about anything to do with women's racing now. I have absolutely no idea. I don't know how much it's going to cost to run a pro tour team next year. So I'm probably not going to run one because I'm not going to have enough time to get that money in. Mm -hmm. I was with three sponsors today. All three have huge companies, vast companies, massive turnovers. I don't know what to ask them for. And these are, these are massive um, business people, hugely successful business people. And they don't want me to go to them with a, uh, you know, a stupid figure that I've picked out of the air. They yeah, want a million pounds. Give me a million euros. Yeah, and I can ask for a million euros. But for a million euros, they're going to expect the very best team because I've told them I think it's a million euros to run the best team. But I'm not asking them for a million euros because I haven't got access to the best riders. To take the best riders and to give the best riders the team and respect that they need, you need to earn that. You need to work your way up. And to start with, we need to become a middle-of-the-road pro tour team, world tour team. And riders get to see our ways and the way that we do things and hear stories about us, the good and the bad, and decide if they're right for them because we do things our way. It's not for everybody. And then those big riders might want to come to you. And they shouldn't be coming to us because you're a last resort. They should be coming to you because they've chosen you and they want to be in that environment and they've learned about it. But until I know what I should be asking for, if I went out and asked for 450 grand this year and I got it agreed, and then the, the World Tour rules come out and they say you need a minimum of 625,000, I'm going to look like an absolute fool. Mm. It's going to be the end of my team and the end of opportunities for riders. And I don't want that to happen. So until we get that clear and concise information, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm totally hamstrung. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Stefan. Always, I've, you should, I will have to do this again because I still have like a thousand questions about Femke van den Driesche. Have you dried out from the winter? And how, can you have tips for riding down the Paterberg and things like that? So we'll have to do this later on in the season. But um, until then, where can people follow uh, Matrix Pro Cycling? Yeah, on the drops.cc and uh, just uh, search for the on the drops handle on all the social media stuff. Um, we're all, all on there. The riders are on there. We try to share as much from other teams as we can. When other teams want things promoting, they just need to ask. We've got quite a big following, so we're always there to help promote anything that we can. Um, and hopefully you'll see us at a lot of races um, in, in Europe and, and in the UK this year. Cool. And if they want to follow you personally, where are you? I wouldn't bother. I would, uh, I would <laughs> follow anybody else in the sport and follow on the drops as a team. Follow uh, Sarah Connolly, it's underscore pigeons underscore. <laughs> uh, they, should, they should follow British Cycling and yeah, make sure you follow Podium Ambition Team and all the other teams in the UK, but definitely don't follow me. <laughs> and um, if you want the links to everything we talked about that's all on my site prowomenscycling.com thank huge thanks to my Patreon supporters who fund me to do this sort of thing if you'd like to join them for as little as £2 a month um, you can do that on www.patreon.com slash womenscycling and yeah follow follow on the drops um, and just follow them it's going to be a really another really exciting year thanks so much for your time Steph no worries speak to you soon Sarah <laughs>